Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs, or you can find us or any other show we do on Spotify or wherever else you guys grow yourself through podcasts. So we're going to jump right into it today. We have another Nashville company. Love it. You know, Nashville is booming. We talk about that a lot on this podcast. We talk about it a lot on the new show we're launching with called Futopia. It's for TV. Nashville is the place to go. It's the place to be. The tourism there is through the roof. There's restaurants, restaurateurs, entrepreneurs in the food space really growing the industry down there, not only in Nashville, but all the surrounding towns. And if you're not from the East Coast or you're not from the United States, it's almost like in Europe on the East Coast, you kind of trip over town. So in Nashville, there's Franklin and Brentwood and Smyrna and St. Juliet and all those and a bunch of other ones I can't pronounce the names of, but it's, um, or remember for that matter, East Nashville, West Nashville, so on and so forth. So one of the coolest things about what I do and get to, getting to do this is I get to go to places that are booming. And just so everyone knows, Nashville is the number one growing food place on the planet right now. London and and Dubai are coming in pretty close uh, with the food booms that they're having and the industries that they're having. However, Nashville is still growing faster. Nashville has more entrepreneurs, food trucks uh, moving there building businesses there, growing there. Why? Because it's lots of people are moving to Nashville, but also we have over 20 million, 22 million tourists coming into Nashville so far this year. So that just gives everyone an idea. In a town that's about 1.3, 1.4 million people, you can imagine what that does for the tourism business, what it does for taxes, what it does for foods and restaurants. So we're going to dive right into it. I have a very special guest with us. She came recommended from another guest of ours, which I love when that happens. Her name is Pam Brown, and she has a company called Nana's Lemonade, and she is located in Nashville, Tennessee. How are you doing today, Pam? Oh, I'm great, Justin. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. So, Pam, I'm going to just dive right into it because... We've talked a little bit before the episode, not very long, but I do know that food is wasn't originally your background. So let's talk about Pam's story. Like, tell me your story, how you grew up. You, This is your show, okay? This is yours, so take as long as you want. But I'd love to know your history and sort of how you ended up where you are right now and being a food entrepreneur and starting your own business recently. Mm. That's a long story. (laughs) So I grew up in uh, Nebraska in a small town, a farming community. And um, I think growing up in that environment really taught me some really good core values about hard work, putting your nose down, how to treat people, how to give back to people. Um, Just really, really grateful that I got that. Um, Moved to Tennessee in my early 20s. Um, I've been in corporate America um, that whole time, but on the side, I evidently have an entrepreneur heart or an entrepreneur drive that puts me out there to self-learn. I think if I'm just doing what someone always tells me to do and not trying to teach something to myself outside of that environment, um, I don't function as well. So... um, how I got into starting Nana's Lemonade is prior to COVID, I was in the art scene pretty big. Um, I, I'm a creative at heart and I love art. Um, and I exhibited at local art shows and, and, and that was my real um, big community at that time. But COVID came along and that changed all of our worlds. So art shows basically obviously shut down for several years and I just decided to pivot and do something different and start learning something different. So that's, I started looking at lemonade and I kind of looked at that for a couple of years during COVID and um, I met uh, Michael Spencer with Nash Dogs at an art show. He had his hot dog cart there. And was selling hot dogs. And that's how we met and started our friendship. And I mentioned it to him. 
and uh, you know, I had this idea floating around, like, what do you think is lemonade needed in the city? Because, you know, it's a very, very competitive space, lemonade, very competitive. And he's like, yeah, do it. You need to do it. And so I kind of shelved it again for a while and then reached out to him and, and started up. So um, still have my corporate job. And um, I work, you know, Monday through Friday. And I do Nana's Lemonade on the weekend. So I really have a lot of drive to um, pay off the rest of my house. And that's where I'm coming from with this. Um, food right now is not my full-time job, but it's helping me become debt-free. So I think it's really interesting how many different people are driven to do, why do they do food? Why are they in this space? Because it is a very challenging space to be in. So that's kind of a little bit of my history. I love this. My, oh, go yeah. ahead. No, go ahead. You're what kind there. of art were you in? Just out of curiosity. I mean, what was your, your passion there? Or, and how did your creative side? Because I think it's probably tied to how you've launched this brand and your logos and stuff like that. Oh, I've just done so many different things. But um, I really got into the wave of the resin art for quite a long time, probably about before it really hit the U.S., it started in Australia. It was a pretty big space there. And when it hit here, it was probably, I probably started doing it six years ago. And I just loved it. Um, I loved the spontaneity of it. I loved the challenge of the self-learning again, the research and learning how to being an entrepreneur in that space work. So that's, that's what I was doing with my art. And so I like the idea of using a uh, blowtorch. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. The the lemonade, let's start there. Like before I mean you came up with this idea. It sort of you know resonated with you. You you enjoy food. You have a recipe. I I'll get into the competitiveness in a second. But where did you come up? It was a certain recipe that you had and do you, did you develop other flavors other than the you know, the main lemonade flavor or, and how does all of that work just out of curiosity? Well, I um, was researching in different Facebook groups and started following in groups and everybody has a different idea on how lemonade should taste. It's funny that something so simple can be complicated to a consumer. Um, we're in the South. So Southerners, they love that grit. They love that sugar at the bottom of a cup. Uh, I'll joke with them and say, you know, just suck up that sugar like it's a pixie stick. You know, when we were kids, you know, remember how we love those pixie sticks? Yeah, absolutely. So developing um, my recipes, um, I had a friend and we would just, we'd, I'd go to her house and we'd hand squeeze lemonades and we would try different combos of simple syrups, sugar, sugar and simple syrup, different ways that you can make lemonades. And I let her just blind test everything. And she was a teenager and he would he would get in on that fun. And that's how I came up with the combo of how I want my lemonade to taste. Um, and that's really important to people. Lemonade, you can sell someone a lemonade and they'll say, oh, well, that's just a little bit too sour. Can I have some more sugar? Or someone else can say, oh, it's a little too sweet. I'd like one less sour. It's very subjective. But I find that if I offer what I like to drink, then the same type of consumer finds me from that perspective. This is incredible. I'm just, I'm so fascinated by this because like, number one, I agree with you in the South, like lemonade and iced tea are like an art form. Like everyone has their family recipes. Some people prefer like iced tea made outside, like in the sun and slowly some people have brew styles some people do whatever and it's the same with lemonade like there's fresh squeeze there's adding peaches there's adding strawberries there's all these things that as i've been spent a lot of time in georgia alabama mississippi south carolina and tennessee in particular i'm always amazed at i mean you're in coca-cola country like for lack of a better term uh, with Atlanta being right there, but the lemonade and iced tea is everywhere in every store. And it's interesting because in the food game, 
I've noticed that that iced tea lemonade craze has made its way out of the South over the last 20 years and into the world as a whole. I mean, you go to any Wawa or Sheets up North and they're actually having their own brands of iced tea and lemonade, no different than we find in the South. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's very cool. And it's a very, I agree with you, competitive industry. There's a lot of like, even in Nashville, I've noticed there's a lot of like juice or fruit juice um, pop-ups going up and things like that. So I know a lot of people are always like food, 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 but I'm always loving the growing business of beverages because I think that everyone, it is hyper-competitive beverages as a whole. You can't supply as many beverages as there are restaurants or food products, but there is room for the grow there. And there are, we are seeing restaurants, pop-ups, food trucks that are beverage based. Um, And I'm not Mm -hmm. only talking about microbreweries in in the alcohol game. I'm talking about beverages like we're talking about here with the lemonade. So let's take a step back for a second. You decided to start this business, you you know, you and you met Michael, like how, what were the steps? How did you go from zero to food entrepreneur? Like once you have this idea, sort of what were the steps you took to launch this? Because we talked about you came up with the recipe, but there's a lot of other pieces that most people can't get over if they're trying to be an entrepreneur and they give up, but that's not what happened to you. So mm-hmm. what were what were all those sort of hurdles, for lack of a better term, that you had to face? Well, I think one of the, the most important thing that you need to do when you get in the food space is find out what your health department needs. Find out what the permitting uh, requirements are. Make sure you have your business licenses. Make sure you have your sales tax set up. Make sure you have a CPA. All of those different things just to start from the beginning to make sure that you're, you're legal and you know set from that perspective. Um, and then you're going to need you know, materials, how are, how are you going to sell? Do you have the funds and the experience to start out in a food truck right away? Um, I didn't have that experience, but I did have a tent and I did have tables and I had weights for my art um, exhibiting. So I knew that I could vend in tents at festivals and events because those are a permanent, you know, situation. You're only there for a day or two at the most. So that's how I started. Um, and then I de- decided, well, how am I going to smash the lemons, right? Something so simple as smashing a lemon. Some people use those little hand squeezers from Walmart. Some people have the big setups with the pneumatic smashers. Well, that's kind of over my head technical-wise at this point. I might graduate into that. I think if I wanted to do a big music festival, I'd have to do that in some, some perspective. Um, but I, I settled on something that's kind of like a, a muddler. So it's a juicer that someone's altered down from Alabama, and it muddles the oil and the pulp and the juice all together. And I just love that flavor of the lemonade. So I found out what I needed to do, what I needed to have, um, and just got started. I kind of knew, being in, from this area, I know what the popular shows are, and knowing how to get into events, I already had that side, you know, that skill set on my side on how to how to apply to shows. So that's what I did. I just got ready and I just started at a smaller event. And that was where I went from there. And I've just been doing shows every single weekend. Um, I think in the wintertime it fades off just a little bit, but in the wintertime I'll pivot to more warm environment products like hot chocolate and cider-based products, things like that. But people need to drink all year round, so I still sell my lemonade all year round. So I've been doing this for about 14 months now. I love this. And I noticed that you also infuse or, or what I would call add flavor. So someone buys a lemonade, mm-hmm. they're at your stand. Like what are their options there and how'd you come up with it? Well, and that, that's another whole aspect of it. Um, how do you want to flavor your lemonades? You know, there's obviously lots of different brands of syrups out there. There's Monin, Finest Call, um, 1883. There's so many different vendor or, you know, distributors out there. So I tried different products and I finally settled on something that's kind of a fruit puree. And that's what I'm going with. And um, I think one of the things I've learned with this over the past year is less is more. 
So I want to try to please everybody, but you, you really need to focus on what's really selling, what's really good and streamline and be, and be lean. Um, because, you know, each show you've got to, you have to pack all of those, all of this setup and you have to haul it around in coolers and, you know, take it back to your commissary and all that type of thing. So as far as my flavors, um, strawberry all the way. People love strawberry lemonade and I put fresh strawberries in it, which on something so simple can make someone so excited that they're actually getting a drink with, with strawberries in it. And then uh, I've learned that mango um, is very popular with tahini and chamoy. So, and then white peach. So I've just come up with, um, you know, that basic line. And then I'll throw something in there that's different um, every once in a while because I've now started to slowly develop a following of some people that will kind of follow me around the city. And I want to give them the options of having something different. Um, I recently introduced um, some snow cone flavoring product for flavoring the lemonade because the kids love blue raspberry. They go crazy over cotton candy and blue raspberry. So um, that's kind of how I've developed my flavors. Um, I'm now starting to have people reach out to me for more intimate events like bridal showers, things like that. So, um, you know, when I think about flavoring, I'm gonna, I'm stepping up my game with that just a little bit. And I'm choosing some more specialty type of flavors like Caribbean rum and pistachio, uh, lavender, things like that to make it more of a cocktail type of lemonade. So that's how I've learned how to develop my flavors. And I always taste them. I always taste everything. And then the people that, um, you know, help me out and work with me at the bigger shows, I have them drink the lemonades too, because if they're going to offer the product, they're going to get asked a lot. What's your favorite? What do you like? And I want them to know how it tastes so they can be happy and proud of what they're offering to the consumers. I like this a lot. One of the things I will say is it's interesting that you say that. I think there's been three or four entrepreneurs who have been on this show over the last year have who have talked about the blue raspberry flavor and kids going crazy for it these days. I find that interesting. I know we ate it as kids, um, maybe in like Kool-Aid or something, and maybe in like uh, freezer pops, but any candy with that blue raspberry flavor, any drinks, any desserts, interestingly, is really booming right now. It's Kids have totally picked up that flavor profile. It's very interesting to me how we go through trends like that. Also, I think it's really cool, the cotton candy. And I, I've seen it on your social media. You, you have the cotton candy flavor, but you also then put a little bit of cotton candy on top of the drink potentially with, with your drink. And so you're giving them the flavor, but you're also solidifying it with the image of uh, the cotton candy, which I think is really cool. They love it. The adults love it. It's like, I'll, I'll just tease them and I'll say, just just be a kid again. Just eat that cotton candy and slurp that lemonade. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, and they I, love it. <laughs> I know. And just uh, totally, because I'm in Nashville all the time and I drive back north a lot, is my cousins, they both each have uh, two of my cousins, they each have two kids and I'll bring back Bucky's cotton candy for them all the time because <laughs> like it's, it's cheap and it's easy, but they go crazy over the cotton candy and the different flavors. So I can yes. totally relate to this also. What, um, how do you determine, like, let's talk a little bit about how did you determine your schedule at first? Cause I, you did say you work full time. So you're doing this on weekends. Do you try to go Saturday and Sunday? Like how did you start to build this business? Because a lot of people that are trying to build businesses obviously have full-time jobs also, and they start dipping their toe in the water, no different than you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really, you know, finding that balance, right? Um, because when you have a full-time job, you, you may have PTO, um, and you have to figure out where you're going to use that PTO. So um, my very first event that I did last summer was a local farmer's market at a church. And uh, Michael Spencer with Nash Dogs um, was there slinging lemonade with me. And so that's how I started because that can be a, uh, it's just um, two or three, well, three hours, three hours. So that's viable, right? You can still work your day job, go set up, sell some lemonade. And then, and then, you know, you're, finished later into the evening it's going to be nine or ten o'clock before you're done but that's how I started 
just trying to find events that are smaller. And then you also have to think about um, what type of events are you going to choose because, um, you know, you have to be gloved up, right? Because you're you're um, selling a food product. So if you go to a large event and you don't have a cashier, it, if I went to an event last night that was a barbecue and it's fast and furious for three hours. Well, I did it last year for the first time. I was a month into this, um, you know, entrepreneurship of food, the food space, and I got blew out of the water because I didn't know how busy I was going to be. So this year I was prepared and I had three people at a cashier, myself, and then um, another person that was handling the icing and the water and the shaking and the punching and handing it over to the consumer. Um, so as far as my schedule, um, I started out finding events that I felt that I could handle myself, but I've gradually grown over this past year. So whether it's a small event or a large event, you are still putting your time in and the effort of packing, unpacking, cleaning up, setting up, tearing it all down. So now I've started to choose bigger events and I have been really blessed with finding people that love working with me and they're having fun and so I've been able to choose bigger events so I'll do something maybe Friday or but just mostly on Saturdays and then Sunday's my down day I would go seven days a week if I could I'd sell lemonade seven days a week and maybe someday I'll get there because I love it it is so much fun just being out there in the community and meeting people it's incredible I mean, there's a reward there. So, I mean, yeah. and the reason you love it, I obviously you're running your business and there's a lot of independence there and building mm-hmm. your own brand. But I mean, what else? I mean, because you, you have said just now you love it. What is it that really fulfills you about it that gives you that sort of, <laughs> I'm going to like sing a song here, that loving feeling? Yeah. Um, gosh, you know, I thought about that when you were, you know, you asked me to be on the show. Like, what's the inspiration? For me, it's that uh, challenge of just self-learning. And when you're in the food business, I think every time you go out and you're in front of the consumer or you're at an event, you learn something different every time. Um, How can I streamline my setup? How can I streamline my process from the time that customer is standing in that line that's 15, 20 deep? You know, when they when they're standing there, you want them to be able to visually kind of have an idea of what they want so that you can do the transaction quick, um, give them their product quick. Um, so, I mean, that's what I love about, you know, just the thrill of selling. And I love the kids. I love the families. I love the little kids that come up and they've just, they've never had real lemonade. And it's the smell of the lemonade. So it's kind of what I love about it. And just being independent, like you said, having an additional stream of revenue coming in so I don't feel so dependent on a job, per se. Yeah, I love this. Um, Talk to me about the prep work, because you mentioned how many days a week that you do it. Do you prep then the entire week? And are you fresh squeezing on at your booth or at your pop-up every time you set up? So explain to me a little bit the logistics here, because I've got to imagine you have a lot of flavoring. You have the cotton candy. Um, you have all the fruit uh, purees that you're talking about. How do you get ready for these events? So that's a really good question because um, it is a logistic issue, right? Um, how many cups do you think you're going to sell? And then how many cases of lemons are you going to need? How many bags of 20-pound ice are you going to need? How many 25-pound bags of sugar? How much water are you going to need? So um, prepping, I kind of get an idea of how many people are at the event. And then, you know, there's obviously other food trucks there, other people selling beverages. So, you know, that rule of thumb, you just try to think about how many will um, actually be buying your product. So that's what my prepping is. I think about, okay, how how much ice do I need to haul? You know, that all of these things I talk about in this food space, um, it's heavy. Um, It's a lot of lugging of a lot of ice. Water is very heavy. So that's how I prep. And I've, over the past year, I'm really trying to find that balance of how much of all of those individual supplies I need to bring 
because I really don't want to haul them back, right? Ice is perishable, lemons are perishable. So that's how I prep. Um, and, you know, this isn't a, a heat sensitive product. So everything is done in person. Um, um, I clean everything before we go. So that's as far as the prepping of the food product. Um, I clean all the lemons and the vinegar water, which is great. And they're all nice and clean. And I hand squeeze on site in front of the customer. So that can be challenging from a logistical perspective of wanting to move your line. Because occasionally you will hear people say, oh, I don't want to stand in line. Because, you know, um, when you're working in food trucks, you can hear the consumer in front of you. So I'm trying to find that balance on how to still give that experience of hand squeezing because they just love that. Um, I love that because it's the flavor. So um, I do hand squeeze, but now I'm starting to get inquiries from large events that are short timelines. Um, so I'm going to uh, start pre-squeezing so I can do different types of event, not necessarily like a, an event that's nine to three, you know, like a market, like a festival, like a music festival or an art show. Because I can, that's a gradual, that's a gradual consumer base that's coming in throughout your day. But now I'm starting to, to get some inquiries from people that are doing two or 300 people in two or three hours. So um, I'm changing my setup for that. That's another thing I'm progressing on. There's the look of how you're set up um, at a festival, but then there's a look of how you might be set up in a corporate environment. So I'm trying to change my look and feel with that to give more of a, um, I don't want to say bougie. That sounds kind of crazy. That sounds kind of, kind of weird. What's a good word for it? Maybe more of a classy type of look. And um, it's going to have more of a catered environment. So I'll be um, limiting my flavors and I'll be squeezing in advance so that I can dispense very quickly and move their, move their people through very quickly. Like a church. Um, Mr. Spencer had invited me to a church and it was very fast and hand squeezing was not... Um, practical takes too long so um that's what i do as far as getting my product out the door it's incredible because i think you're so spot on there's the logistical pieces one mm -hmm. there's the value of having people see that you're squeezing them but on yeah, the other exactly. hand the, on the other hand and i would call it the show business especially in nashville there's the show time that goes on there just by the nature of being nashville and music and acting now and industry being there. Um, I love that the food has a lot of showtime, which is the squeezing that you're talking about. But at the same time, it's not exactly scalable. And mm -hmm. uh, when people want your product, even though they're there, they want to see the show, that showtime still doesn't matter as much as being able to move quickly uh, in some cases because people do are walking around their families moving on to the next place um, mm -hmm. and with beverages I agree because while food trucks people have a certain amount of tolerance for waiting any food truck that limits that weight is on fire period especially mm -hmm. if they have really great food and so I agree with it in the beverage as well and it's still I think for you, there's other ways to have showtime at the larger events without actually squeezing the uh, lemons themselves. There's probably a lot of different mixtures and ways of creating fun that gives them that same flavor profile. And like the other thing I think that I just want to applaud you for is you talked about limiting your menu. So many people try to go into bigger events and offer too much and it mm -hmm. cripples them. And then it gives you a bad reputation, even though you have a great product and you're a great food entrepreneur. You, if you overshoot the mark or you try to overdo it or what I would call overpromise and underdeliver, the you lose the consumers. And the the thing that you're doing well is you're setting an expectation for them. This is what you're going to get if you do a big event. If you're in a smaller event, hey, I can do these things, right? And if it's more gradual, like you said, there's that consistent flow, but it's more like a stream versus a tidal wave. Um, then that's one thing. But a tidal wave, I agree with you, um, having done events and stuff myself over the years and being in the food truck game, for a uh, food trailer game for a number of years with one of our subsidiaries, that that wave will crush you, especially if lines build up and you're you're losing business, you're losing paying customers. And so and one little hiccup in that process while you're going through the event can throw the 
can throw the balance off because once one person in the line gets thrown off, you kind of lose a few steps and you got to get back into that step of flowing together. Yeah, I agree with you. That momentum thing is important. It's not only mm-hmm. important during the events, but it's important like in the days you're not doing events as a business owner and entrepreneur, like you have to keep momentum going. And so let's talk a little bit about like the best and worst days. Like what was maybe an event that you had that was really rough that I wouldn't say worse is worse is not a great word because I think we learn from everything as entrepreneurs, but what was an event that you learned the most from and oh, why? Mm. Uh, so, you know, there's a, in, in this space, there's a big difference between a food truck and a tent vendor. Two different, you know, food trucks are protected from the elements, whereas tent vendors are not protected from the elements. So I think for me, m- my most challenging day is, you know, you know what time the event's going to start, but you need to get there to set up and you need to prep and you need to get ready. Well, weather is a huge issue for outside events. I think that's the biggest challenging thing that can turn you sideways for the day. So that's probably my worst day. I was at an event and a storm that was very violent came through and just blew everything over. Literally picked up my tables, everything, just blew everything over. My tent was okay. But um, to me, that's the hardest thing to do is just dealing with that weather and finding that balance. You know, Nashville had its tomato fest yesterday. And, you know, that's a huge event. And I was watching several of my friends going through the feed today and how so many people just lost their tents, merchandise going down the street in the water. So that's the biggest thing. I think that's probably the worst day for me because everything else is recoverable. But that it's such hard work being a food vendor and um, you, you're trying to set yourself up so that you have a good day and you're successful. But then when the weather comes along and blows you away and then that affects the customers, they might not come out because they don't know if you're, they're still having the event type of thing. So for me, that's probably the most challenging day I've had as a vendor. How about the best one? Well, the best one. I think the first day that I started because I started and you're, you're, you're on this, um, gosh, you got, you've got this anticipation built up. Okay. Have I done enough? Am I ready? Am I packed? Do I have my, do I have what I need? And then you just start because you don't know what the consumers, if they're going to like you, are they going to like what you're offering? So to me, that's the best day. Just that, that love of self-learning and researching and the thrill of implementing the plan and then and then you start to build your community. So that's the first, that's the best day for me, just starting. Sounds basic, but that's it. How did you know you were on to something here? How did you know, because, you know, that, like, how did you know this was going to be something that you would continue doing? I mean, you're 18 months in, roughly. And I believe, if my math is correct. But um, how did you know that this was going to be something that you were going to be able to grow and was going to catch on? I think just the, I think the people, just the happiness. I'm getting something so basic as a great lemonade. I mean, you know, you talked earlier in the conversation about Nashville and tourists. I um, have so many tourists that I've met. And I'm always asking people, so where are you from? What part of the city do you live in? Are you in from out of town? Um, I lost my train of thought there just a little bit, Justin. It's okay. Um, I was asking when you th- when you knew you had made it. Like, when was that feeling? Like, okay, this is something that I can do. I should start putting in the time and and making sure I have my business every weekend. Yeah, I think that that was what it was when I started to you know meet people and develop relationships with people that um, have come back and bought lemonade five, six, seven times from me, or they'll find me at different events or they just walk away so happy, or they'll come back at an event. And there's this one event that I go to every month, and this there's a guy that's there as a vendor. He'll come and get four or five drinks a day because he loves it so much. And for me, it's just the happiness of selling something so basic and so happy. <laughs> happiness, I guess. Just seeing the, the look on the little kids' faces. And I hand out pinwheels to the little kids, that type of thing. That's how I knew I was onto something. 
Because people will tell you, they'll give you their feedback. You know, they'll tell you, this is the best barbecue I've ever had. And I have it, like for me, from that perspective, I have a barbecue vendor here in town and his is, it's my favorite. So whenever I see him out, I'll seek him out. That's how I knew I was onto something. Was just hearing the families and the feedback from the people buying it. This is, I mean, I love this story and Nebraska, like there's a lot of people that have come to, uh, like, it's so funny that I met recently in the last six months, so many people from Nebraska that have moved to Nashville. So I do like that. I just want to echo that for whatever reason, it just came to mind now. But the, the thing I like about your store, well, one, I like your attitude. Okay. Like I, it's really like one of the things that I think helps your business is your, you have a very positive attitude. You have a very good perspective in what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And a lot of that's reflective in your product and your brand. So you mentioned earlier that you have multiple people that help you now and you bring people in to help you during events. So now you're leading a team, basically. Mm-hmm. Talk to mm-hmm. me a little bit about what it's like to lead this team and how you find your team members. Mm. So being being that this this road I'm on right now is just part-time, finding um, the type of person that I want to be in the booth with me um, how do I find those people? How do I find the staff? It's kind of word of mouth. Um, people that I already know that are in my circle that know what I'm doing, or they may know someone that's needing some extra income. Um, I have someone that recently is jumping in two or three times a month. That's a stay at home mom. And she wants to feel some value and some contribution to her family. But being a stay-at-home mom of a younger child, she can't devote as much time as I would use her if she offered. So um, that's how I find people, just word of mouth. Now, if I was a full truck, a full full-time truck, that would be a different situation. Um, but mine's incremental, right? And it's also very seasonal. So in the wintertime, it will drop off. But that's how I'm finding really good people. Um, I have found that that front person what do you call them, an expediter? I've been learning a lot about food truck recently and those key words. So the person that's greeting my person right from the very beginning is really important. I want them to be happy. I want them to enjoy what they're doing. I want them to greet the customer because that's the first That's the first interaction. The lemonade can taste great, but if they're not happy and greeted from the beginning to the end when we hand them the drink, um, that's really important to me, the type of staff that works with me. And the people that are helping me, um, they're learning that lemonade can be really, really hard work. So um, some people can take it and some people can't. I mean, and that's the food truck industry overall, I think. Because, you know, once you get in this space, you start watching other food trucks and that interaction when you buy food at a food truck and what it's like. So that's how I find people. Just, Just good people in my life are showing up. I agree this. I think there's a lot of attraction versus promotion. Just do the right thing, have the right attitude, which is why I asked this question because you, you, your attitude's incredible. And I mean, I'm not talking about just the personality aspect. I'm talking about the principles that you live by, that wanting to have a higher class product or what, for lack of a better term, you said classy project or bougie was a word you didn't want to use. But from the sense of if we take that word or take what you're trying to say, you want to have a high level of experience for the uh, customer service of the high quality product, uh, high quality experience, you know, all of those things, high quality feedback, the things that matter. And you're delivering, like I said, a high quality product, but it's beyond just the customer service, just the just the food. It's that experience that I want to want to emphasize in that it's how you deliver the product. It's the coloration. It's the cups. It's the cotton candy on the top. It's the fruit you're choosing to use um, as you, what I would call, infuse the lemonade. Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of cool. Um, do you change up the, the fruit? Do you change up things from event to event to keep some of your more common customers interested? Do you do daily sp- or uh, weekend specials or however you want to look at that? Like, how do you mix it up a little bit to keep it interesting? So I think that is a good question. 
that's something that I need to really work on. Um, I had working a full-time job and being a grandmother where I try to fit in my grandmother time with my grandkids. Um, as far as finding a weekly special or a, a specialty drink, I think that's, a, that's something I need to work on. Um, I did come up with something recently and it's funny cause Mike, I, I came up with this, uh, what's it called? Um, sangria, a sangria drink with fresh strawberries and then a big cup of watermelon on top. So, and people are like, Oh my gosh, fresh watermelon and I'm drinking lemonade, like the heavens have parted. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I need to come up with. <laughs> you know, I, I need to, <laughs> I do like watermelon lemonade and interestingly, I like you're actually eating. Uh, I came up with putting a, a cup lid upside down because I'd, I'd purchased the wrong type of lid. So I was like, what am I going to do with these? Well, we're just going to put fruit in them and people love it. So, but that is something I really want to work on. I think from a social media perspective of a marketing perspective, coming up with um, more drinks. That's one thing I struggle with is the social media side. Um, I can handle the events and all of that, but the social media side, but that is something I need to work on. Just new recipes, new drinks, fresh, keep things fresh. But yeah. then, you know, everyone goes right back to that good old strawberry. They I just know. want classic lemonade. Just give me a classic. I'll take that. I sell a lot of classics and a lot of strawberries. So it's, you know. It's interesting. I, and I'm the same way, actually. And I've spent a lot of time in Nashville over the last year. And weirdly, I drink a lot of iced tea and lemonade. I'm a big fan of half and halves. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah. And uh, the Honor Palmers. And I like peach lemonade. I like strawberry lemonade. And I like it also mixed with iced tea. Like, I'm not a fan. I, I'm, I like iced tea. I don't generally like it on its own. I like it, you know, peach here and lemon iced tea here and there. But I, I prefer it mixed. And I'm always going back to the classic lemonade just yep. just because I love it so much. I like the citrus. I like the taste. But then I'm, I am always finding new flavors, like a, a traditional blueberry, a traditional strawberry, a traditional uh, peach where they're actually infused in it. I, and I agree. For some reason, the strawberry really takes off. I really like the watermelon lemonade. It's something that I tried recently. I was on my way back from Nashville and I stopped by a, a roadside stop or a, a gas station and they were, they had like fresh lemonades um, and you could pick your, your flavor. And I was just like, huh, I've never tried the watermelon lemonade before. I put my own watermelon in lemonade at, when I was growing up on a farm because we always had lemonade and tea on the farm. Uh, my mom would just make it for us as kids because there was no soda in the house, just be transparent. Yeah, we didn't grow up with sodas. I didn't grow up with soda. I know. It's just one of those things where kids have soda in the house. I'm like, it's just, well, I'm going to go off on a yeah. tangent here and then back to this. It's just like I saw this thing on Instagram the other day where there, there's like a, a new generation kid. He, the guy was probably in his early 20s. He's like, why? Like you drank out of hoses. Weren't there sinks? And she, the woman's <laughs> like, no, I don't know why this is so hard to understand. Our parents didn't want us in the house. Yeah, we drank out of the hose. We drank out of the hose because we weren't allowed in the house. You no, and you were dying of thirst. You're dying of thirst. You needed the hose, and it's so funny because one of the things she says is, every night at ten o'clock, this is true across the country. There would be this commercial, and it'd be like, "It is ten p.m. Do you know where your children are?" And that's just because like we didn't have hovering parents. We didn't have parents that mm-hmm. wanted to keep an eye on us all the time. That just wasn't the life we lived. We didn't even have cell phones, so. It's nope. amazing that now yeah. the kids have cell phone and we still have hovering parenting, but they didn't want us in the house. Don't mess up my house, kid. You guys go yeah. outside, you play, and don't come home until the street lights come on or the sun's going right. down. You know, if you were on the For farm, us it was the whistle. Yeah, the whistle. You know, <laughs> we or had it's a local, dinner time. Local whistle that would blow off if there was a you know a storm coming or so six o'clock it blew <laughs> you weren't you, you knew you need, once you heard that whistle you better be inside. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly true, and I think that. You know, because of that, you know, we had lemonade and iced tea outside all the time. Mm -hmm. My mom always had it outside and we'd infuse it as kids, just whatever we could get off the farm or the local farm. Or I eventually had fruit stands myself and and operated them with some business partners. And like we would take the, the produce off of there or the fruit that we didn't sell or was about to go, 
you know, that we knew wouldn't yeah. last the next couple of days because we didn't want to sell fruit that was going to go bad in a couple of days. And we would infuse the lemonades and stuff and even sell it off the fruit stand. So when Michael told me about you, I was like, oh my gosh, this takes me back to the days we sold lemonade and iced tea off of our fruit stands. And anyone who's in the audience knows I talk about the fruit stands, the four of them I worked on growing up from like 14, 15 on because you could drive at 14, 15 years old in Maryland with a farmer's permit and uh, or if it was a farm vehicle within 25 miles. So we figured out how to do that. And I used to get rides also if it was more than 25 miles. And we started and eventually I drove. I got my license the day I turned 16, just saying, because I was so wanting to like the freedom of all of it and to make my own money in life. But the iced tea lemonades were some of our best sellers. People would come to the produce stands, they get everything that they wanted, and then they'd buy tons of you know, lemonade and iced tea, we would sell it. And I saw you do this as well, the 32 ounces. Um, The 32 ounce, they would like, one of the things we did really well is Big Gulp had come out by 7-Eleven then. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. People are buying larger amounts of product, paying more for them. We should do the same thing for the iced tea and the lemonade. And it worked. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so I just, you know, I went off on a tangent there and and pulled it back in. No, it's all related. But, um... I it's like all related. It all goes full circle. Yeah, it's, it's from your core values of what you of what you need and your work ethics to do the food truck industry, entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, look how you started. It's, I, I had a similar type of background. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I went on to do hospital food and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. things like that, and it just grew and grew and grew. But I want to like. Speaking of food entrepreneurs and influences, you talked about Michael Spencer of Nash Dogs um, and anyone who's listening. And it just so happens Michael just did his part four and part five of our show. And we're lining up a part six to announce some big news of his in Nashville. Uh, Really big news actually for him and his business is growing. But one of the reasons I think his business is growing right now all of a sudden the way it is is because he has this altruistic attitude of paying it forward. He's oh, really helping out a lot of entrepreneurs. He's helping out a lot of people. He's not taking any money for it right now. He's just trying to gain experience and do it for the right reasons and build a community because he believes, uh, and I agree with him, that the level at which the entrepreneurs and the food trucks and the the pop-up game in Nashville should all be elevated. We need to raise the waters for everyone so everyone can do better just based on how much tourism is coming there and how much international brand building uh everyone in nashville's building because of all the tourists coming there from around the world and this is a good part to sort of break this into two parts for this episode and i just want everyone to listen in you can find this on nana's lemonade tn on instagram at nana's lemonade uh, tn for tennessee on instagram follow the story here but what is going on in nashville is the real deal We're going to just leave everyone here. The next episode coming out in two days. Nana will be back. We'll be talking more about this. You know, Nana's Lemonade will continue to tell their story. We will continue to talk to Pam Brown and what she's doing with the lemonade scene and the beverage scene and even the food scene in Nashville and how partnerships and community really matter okay and i want to emphasize this is often you have a man and a woman that's looked at as the covenant of god but nothing is more greater representation of god than three humans which represents community and it doesn't necessarily mean that the humans in the three are married but they are affecting their community and what's gone on in nana's lemonade with michael spencer and Nash Dogs and him helping his community in the food trucks is phenomenal. And other food businesses and mobile food pop-ups and things like that. So we're going to leave it here, guys. I thank everyone for listening in. If you got a lot out of this episode, continue to listen to part two. It's coming out in two days. Also, Pam Brown will be back for that part two. It's going to be awesome. Her story is phenomenal, and I don't even know if we're going to finish it in two parts. But thank you, everyone, for listening in. If you like the story, if you like 
you know, Pam's story, if you like Nana's Lemonade story, please share this episode. Whatever syndication you're listening on, please give us five star, the highest ratings that you can give. Write a comment. That's all I ask. We do this for free. The entrepreneurs come on here for free. This is all done to give back to the world to help food entrepreneurs across the world, okay? Who, even in countries that don't have freedom and liberty, they are food entrepreneurs building their own lives, building their own independence in the countries they live in. There are more food entrepreneurs in the world than any other profession. Think about it. Think about all the mom and pop shops you see across the world when you travel, markets, restaurants, etc. No matter what country you're in, they are there. Food has always been that way for entrepreneurs. The food entrepreneur is probably one of the oldest professions in the world, if not the oldest. Okay, maybe farming, maybe hunting, maybe being a soldier. I don't know, but I would say getting paid for something versus protecting, it's definitely one of the oldest professions as we know in the modern world. So with that being said, thank you everyone again for listening. You can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can find me personally at Justin Bizarro, again, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O, on Instagram, Threads, and Facebook. You can find me as a guest on other podcasts. You can find the link to that on my Instagram or on my Threads or on my Facebook. There is a link there from Linktree. Follow it. It has all my guest episodes. It has all the things that I'm a part of. It has the first teaser pilot of Futopia TV for anyone who wants to listen, see it, watch it, listen to it. Uh, The TV show that we are working on that will be on TV, okay, that will be broadcasted across the world because we are traveling around the world and telling the story of food entrepreneurs from around the world and the story of food from the local farms to the restaurants that serve it in their communities. And we're going to see food that you've never even seen before. Okay. So please keep listening, keep watching, keep supporting this. It matters for our future. It matters in supporting food entrepreneurs who are building jobs, building dreams for those around the world who are building freedom and liberty around the world, who are honoring God around the world. Okay. Or whatever they believe in. They are doing it for the future of humanity and all the creatures on this planet and plants and the future of this planet. Thank you guys for listening in. Continue to share it. Continue to support it. Continue to give back. There's no advertisements on here. All that we ask is that you like, share, share it, give it good comments, tell people about it word of mouth. That's it. That's the price to pay here. It's free. All we do is ask that you participate in it. Thank you everyone for listening in. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, Pam, for coming on the show. You can find Nana's Lemonade again on Instagram at Nana's Lemonade TN and we're out.